Should we talk about change? Let's talk about change. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. The baby, please. I have a dream. Shouldn't we consider in every nation a fundamental restructuring of economic, political, social, and religious institutions? We have come here to let you know that change is coming, whether you like it or not. Undo reality and remake it in a way that allows for a more hopeful present. Hi everyone, welcome to Cosmic. Human beings on planet Earth trying to figure out what the hell is going on here. <laughs> it feels like our economic system is not really fit for the challenges of the 21st century. How can we make sure economics benefit people and nature? I mean, really benefit people and nature. See what I mean? How do we help new approaches take off? This episode is part of our philanthropy series, because today I'm sitting in the office of Leslie Arun, who is director and secretary of Partners for a New Economy, a group of donors who want economics to benefit people and nature. Hello, Leslie. Welcome to Cosmic. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. I have a lot of questions. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. I have a lot of questions too. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Well, so we have another guest then. <laughs> um, no, but if, look, first I wanted to ask you about um, this vision, uh, economics that benefits mm. people and nature. What can you tell me about that? Well, um, so Partners for a New Economy is a donor-advised fund, which means that we have four international family foundations who have come together um, to try to protect the environment overall. That's their primary vision. And they recognize that just focusing on environmental issues isn't enough. Um, we've been working on environmental issues for about 20 years, probably each of the foundations who are members of partners. And even though many of our grants or most of our grants have been successful at achieving what they set out to achieve, carbon emissions are still rising, fisheries are still disappearing, biodiversity is still going away, our insects are collapsing. You know, we, we've, we all know the story, the UN biodiversity report just came out and And uh, the IPCC report on climate just came out. And so our vision is really how do we transform our the way we interact with the planet as human beings? And the primary way that we interact with the planet as human beings is through our economic system. How can we transform that system so that we can all live here with a decent quality of life and that and meanwhile, sustain our life support system. Yo el desnudo y el corazón 
soy la tierra de tus raíces, el talismán de tu piel lo dice. Yo soy la tierra de tus raíces, lo dice el corazón y el fuego de tu piel. Yo soy la tierra de tus raíces, el talismán de tu piel lo dice. Yo soy la tierra de tus raíces, a ver qué dices tú, el talismán de tu piel me chiva. Que ando descalza de esquina a esquina Por cada calle que hay en tu sueño Que soy el mar de todos tus puertos El talismán de tu piel me cuenta Que tu destino que era mi puerta Cuando una noche de amor desesperados Caigamos juntos y enredados La alfombra y el alrededor Acabarán desordenados Cuando una noche de amor Que yo no dudo La eternidad venga So, peeling off one more uh, layer New economics means I mean, as you define it We need new models for, for money and banking uh, mm -hmm. For instance Yeah um, How to make the monetary and credit systems Accountable for their impacts on people and nature. That's very interesting. How do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. We're trying to figure that out ourselves. And um, within that program, we focus on monetary policy. So central banks, um, the people who make some of our money, really only about 3%, um, and, but who basically steer the course of our economy. Mm. We also focus on bank lending. So we focus on debt and not equity. And can you explain a little bit yep. to someone here? So um so when a bank makes a loan to you or a small business, a commercial bank, they're for the most part putting brand new money into the economy. Mm. So wherever banks as a whole, put money into our economy, that's where our markets grow. And so that determines what our society looks like. And right now, let's take climate change. Uh, a, a lot of the big commercial banks are actually, since the Paris Climate Accord, increasing their lending to fossil fuel projects. Right. So they're expanding the market for fossil fuels across the globe, which is exactly the wrong direction. So, so we're focused on these two things. And um, um, one of the things that we've been trying to accomplish is to get central banks to incorporate environmental considerations into their policies and practices. And I think because of climate change, because of the IPC report uh, and the UN Biodiversity Report and a million other things, um, central banks are starting to t really take this seriously and to think that an unraveling environment is actually, um, it's going to be a problem for our financial stability globally. Mm -hmm. And so they're starting to try to figure out how they as banks can start to integrate these considerations into their own lending, into their own balance sheets. And they're also asking commercial banks to do the same thing. So we are moving down this pathway, which, which is great. Um, and, and hopefully it will be in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there is definitely a, a 
feels almost like a boomerang effect after the Paris Agreement, as mm -hmm. you're saying, more investment going into fossil fuel. Why, why do you think this is? Well, I think it's because the way our economy is structured. So banks are private for-profit institutions that are beholden to their shareholders. I just lost my sound. Um, Oops, sorry. Well, you got it here? Uh, yeah, back again. All right, sorry. Um, so they're, they're beholden to their, to their shareholders, their owners, and um, their duty as... Um, fiduciaries is to make the most money possible for their shareholders. And so in some ways, well, so there are a whole bunch of different reasons, but in some ways they're sort of trapped in this economic system that basically says companies have to, companies' primary purpose has to be profit. Mm -hmm. um, banks also know how to lend to fossil fuels. They evolved at the same time as our energy companies evolved. So they're really good at making great, large, they're, they're good at making large investments in um, centralized energy projects or big agricultural projects or what have you. What they're not so good at right now is making loans to the small distributed projects that we need in order to create sustainable agriculture, um, sustainable energy sources. And so banks need to relearn how to exist within this economic system. We need to give them permission to that. And, and actually, we need to go beyond that and, and basically force them to do that. Let's free them. Let's free them. Free the banks. <laughs> Look at me I'm as helpless as a kitten a tree and I feel like I'm clinging to a cloud I can't understand I get misty just holding your hand walk my way and a thousand violins begin to play or it might be the sound of your that music I hear I moment you're near You can say that you're leading me on But it's just what I want you to do Don't you Never knowing my right foot from my left 
A bit of Sarah Vaughan is always good. Right? <laughs> I know. It but was an interesting juxtaposition with a conversation about banks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know um, how good it, it is for our listeners on the treadmill. Maybe they slowed down the pace for a <laughs> right. couple of minutes. But um, anyway, so you were talking about how those donors that you represent came together around mm -hmm. that um, that realization. Can you talk a little bit about that that process of like if, if that was more of a, an organic discussion over a few years or if there was like, how did it happen exactly? Well, it did start as an organic um, conversation between two of my donors and then a third one came in and then the fourth one came in. And from what I understand, part of the partner's story is that uh, two of the donors who had been working on biodiversity conservation together for many years, the two based here in Switzerland, um, felt that or, you know, felt very proud about the fact that they had helped establish um, marine parks and biodiversity parks around the world. And then... Uh, and I don't think they were actually funding this project, but you know the the gorilla park, Varunga in yes. in the Congo. Well, they realized at some point that even though that park had been set aside in perpetuity, they thought the gorillas were safe. They thought the gorillas' landscape was safe. And then the government actually allowed this small oil and gas company to come in and start exploring in the park. And they realized that nothing is permanent and that they needed to go beyond their work to establish parks, that they needed to go beyond trying to fit our natural system into our market, trying to price nature to help us understand its value. They needed to go beyond policy fixes and ideological debates about, you know, do we focus on protection and equity or do we focus on, on growth and independence? And they really needed to look at um, the economy as the perpetuator of so many of these problems, but also as an opportunity to change the way that we do business. So it was actually a, a pretty messy process in the right. beginning. Um, we, so we, we knew all this stuff, and I was working at the Oak Foundation at the time. We knew, we knew that we weren't doing things well enough, um, but we didn't really know how to do any better. So it actually took about two years to set partners up. And we, we had research papers, we hired consultants, we had convenings, all kinds of things. And we hadn't really, we knew we wanted to focus on the economy, but when I started, we didn't really know what that meant yet. Right. And so it took me a while, um, a lot of 
talking, a lot of interviewing, a lot of reading and research and stuff to kind of figure out where are those leverage points in our economic system that we can try to tackle that might make a difference. Now we want to know. Now we want to know. So I I think one of the most important ones is um, revolves around um, corporate structure and governance and the legal uh, structure of corporations, which, um, as I was saying before with the banks, it's the same issue. They're right now, and this has not always been the case, the primary purpose for a corporation is to create profit. Uh, corporations haven't always been like that. Corporations used to also care about their employees and they used to care about their communities and they weren't legally required to um, to focus exclusively on creating profit for their owners and their shareholders. And often I think in, in a lot of for a lot of companies, their owners and shareholders, for the most part, don't realize the impact that that has on the company and the impact that that's having on on the environment and mm-hmm. communities. Um, so, so, so that's one of the places that we're focusing is how do we actually get rid of this idea that profit is primary and that greed is good? Could we actually change that idea um, and that the idea of greed is good is is um, it's very deeply enmeshed in our in our economic system I think it's it's about consumption and about um, maximizing human happiness and but but our question is is that actually realistic is it is it a fair picture to paint of human beings Mm -hmm. is more and more consumption the thing that's going to make you the happiest and I would say no but and I would say that we need to go back to the very roots of our economic theory and our theory about what makes human beings thrive and start from the very roots of our economic system and and rebuild it from there yeah and I'm sure when you opened that door, I mean, you knew that would be quite a challenge to to address. But very quickly, you start to touch on philosophy, yeah. and like very big issues, and yeah. and how do you have a um, a way to operate that makes sure that you don't because it's getting so big so quickly. How yep. do you, how do you stay focused? Yeah. Well, we try to. We have three portfolio areas that are all related to each other, and um, so we try to we try to answer those questions within those three portfolio areas. So we try to answer those questions within our banking work. So we're grounding it in reality. We try to answer those questions in our enterprise work and in our education and narrative work. So we ground it in reality, and but we really we don't we don't want to step back from those really big questions because they're so fundamental. I think that's probably going to require a bit of rock and roll of a time, no? That sounds good to me.
yeah, a lot of people dying for others in yeah. this world. Um, we're going to die for profit if we're not careful. Right. Well, we need to meditate on this. <laughs> Sorry, that was a downer. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's uh, We're here to tell the truth. So, um, Before diving in maybe in some uh, project examples or in those in those areas, mm-hmm. um, and to finish on, on the collaboration between those donors and, and this, this process, this is something that we see more and more within philanthropy, um, like pool funding or, or mm-hmm. collaboration between donors. Do you think that it's a good thing in all cases or what what are your thoughts around that that's that way to to collaborate and and maybe the the bigger role of of philanthropy and um yeah mm-hmm. the purpose of philanthropy well i think when you're trying to address a systemic problem like we are which is the economy the very large out of our control ecosystem of the economy collaboration is really useful Uh, when you're tackling a system, if you're working by yourself, you can't see all the pieces of the system and how they work together. But if you're working with a lot of different people, you have a much better chance of actually seeing all these different parts of the system and how they work together. So your chances of of being effective are much better. And also you learn a lot faster. Right. And uh, so you can take, like for us, one of the reasons that we came together was because we wanted to mitigate our risk. So there are some grants we've made that none of my foundations would have made on their own, but together they're willing to take a risk. Uh, for example, here's a really risky project that we almost didn't fund because we thought it was complete pie in the sky. It is... Um, Um, it's through this organization in the United States called the Democracy Collaborative. And what it is, is using central bank made money. So using quantitative easing to buy out the 10 largest fossil fuel companies in the United States and nationalize them and then manage their decline over time. So in theory, um, people who lost their jobs in the coal industry or the, or the oil industry would be retrained. Um, we would figure out how to move that money, that fossil fuel money into renewable technologies and, Much to our surprise, within about a year after making that grant, a lot of people are talking about this. And the reason we did make the grant was because we wanted this crazy idea to be part of the conversation. And it turns out there are a lot of people who don't think it's that crazy. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited about it. The, um, some of the folks working on the Green New Deal in the United States have, have taken this idea up as, you know, one of the answers to people who say, oh gosh, we could never pay for the Green New Deal. We could never pay to transform our energy infrastructure, but we have to, right? Hmm. This is an emergency. We yeah. don't, we have 10 years. Yeah, we have yeah. 10 years to change our energy system. Or a lot of people and a lot of animals and the planet, pieces of the planet, are they're just going to die. Yeah. How do you go about um, building that awareness in your day-to-day conversation, whether with, with partners, with grantees, with, with donors, with uh, friends, family? Like, it's a very difficult thing to understand because since 
Mm-hmm. Forest is very short term, ten years, um, and and the, the the impact is so long term. Yeah. It's not really knocking at the door for most people who are focusing on the next rent. Yeah, or, absolutely. It's extremely difficult to comprehend for anybody, even for me. You know, because I look outside the window and nothing's wrong. Yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Everything looks okay. Um, And I don't, you know, in terms of talking to people and trying to help them understand, I think actually the most important thing you can do is listen to them. Find out where they're coming from, what's meaningful to them, and start there because we're not, we don't make decisions based on rationality. We make decisions based on emotion. We make decisions based on experience. We make them based on our social structures and our, you know, we're tribal. Mm. We've always been tribal and we have this fantasy that we're rational, intellectual decision makers and we're not. So, you know, focus on people's hearts instead of their heads and, and go from there. And, um, you know, and I think to some extent, it's up to individuals to make a difference and change their own lives. But at this point in time, when we have 10 years, it's really up to the policymakers. Right. Structures. Yep. It's up to our institutions, our politics, um, economists, business people. You have power and you need to use it right now. To make a difference. Well, that's a um, very good way of putting it. And I think also, um, I always, um, one, one feedback I, I get or one response, um, I, I, I observe is that it's much more attractive as an idea, as a project when it's fun and a little bit crazy as oh, well. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that's, you know, we're always into that kind of doom communication uh, yeah. landscape. Um, everything is dramatic and, and urgent and change can be fun, don't, yeah. they, don't you think? Change can be a lot of fun. Yeah, I need to. I, I get caught up in that doom thing and and I have to remind myself that um, I can't change the world all on my own and I need to make sure I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> mm. I feel the calling like a warning sign It's been a while Out of my mind Ripped off the bandit, I still feel the scars It took some time I'm almost fine Now you are the shadow Sound to my heels My friend, my foe You are the stranger I recognize And we both know I'm not gonna
really loud in your office Leslie the your neighbors I must be thinking are they working <laughs> my of, neighbors are jealous of course we're working <laughs> they're gonna start breaking down the door any moment now yeah they want to come and dance they started dancing in the hallway as a matter of fact um I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the guiding principles that you apply and you, mm -hmm. you, you've been talking a little bit about um, about risk, for instance. So you, mm -hmm. you see yourself as a fit for um, granting projects that are uh, risky or mm -hmm. high risk, high reward. Is, yeah. that, is that the well, way? Well, that's what that's our plan. Um, and some of, you know, it's kind of surprising what you think is really risky and turns out to just get taken up um, without much problem at all, like the QE for the planet proposal. Uh, and then there are other things that um, you think aren't very risky that end up failing or not doing so well. Um, mm. Not many of our projects have failed. So I'd argue we're probably not taking enough risk. Mm. And we need to be taking more. Uh, it's it's hard. It's hard for us to do that. Um, there's four four of my 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 um, donors make the decisions about the grants, and and you know we see ourselves falling back into the mode. Oh, that you know that grant won't be successful because of this, 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 and this. Even though it's a brilliant idea, um, but. Instead of saying, okay, we're, we're really going to think outside the box and we're going to give this organization the money. And then I think, I think often that's all that foundations do is they, they give over the money and they say, good luck and tell us what happened in a year. But I think right now when our problems are so urgent, foundations should do more than that. They should ha actually try to help their grantees succeed. So we try to do that too. We bring grantees together across sectors um, and with other organizations they wouldn't normally work with or think they had anything in common with and uh, try to increase learning and build relationships and build communities and things like that. So, but, but I also say that, you know, foundations think about taking risk themselves. Like, are we risking $100,000 because we gave it to this organization, which is unlikely to succeed because, you know, the world just isn't going to let them at this point in time. But it's really the organizations that are taking the risk. You mm -hmm. know, they're putting their time and their energy and their intellectual property and their, you know, everything they do on the line. So I think it's important to rethink a little bit how philanthropy does business and to really support the communities that it's trying to to um, to uplift. Yeah, that was my um, next question. It's, things are getting more urgent and more difficult. Even like we're the, the whole um, 
we're entangled into that that very complex systems mm. um, there's a need for a new um, culture within philanthropy or a new way mm. of doing things how, how much of a change do you think is needed within the conventional philanthropy Are they are there like small adjustments that can be made to, or do you see this more of a sort of radical new way of thinking necessary? Well, I've thought about that a lot, and I'm not really sure what the answer is at this point. I do think there needs to be a significant shift away from incremental philanthropy. So. When I started in philanthropy 20 years ago, the the big thing was venture philanthropy. Um, measure everything, you know, make sure you're only choosing the organizations who have the capacity to bring change about and, and um, you know, KPIs every three months or so. And so the organization spends a lot of time on, on evaluation and monitoring and blah, blah, blah. But I think there's there's a very distinct movement away from that. There's a movement, uh, uh, philanthropy is trying to figure out how to do system change. I don't think we really know the answer to that yet, but we're trying to work more collaboratively. We're trying to break down the barriers between the, the donors and the recipients because um, there's a real power dynamic there that kind of skews things sometimes skews outcomes, skews um, strategies. And, and I think um, I've either funded or worked with intermediaries. Like we, we think of ourselves as an intermediary between our donors and our grantees. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot more positive that's coming out of these collaborative relationships um, than if, you know, foundations who are making single investments on single organizations and not trying to build the connective tissue, not trying to weave a larger fabric. Um, yeah. And now I'm getting lost in my own. No, thoughts. no, that's, that's um, actually you, you uh, touched on the other guiding principles that, uh, that you guys um, apply, which is the, the, the innovative dimension and connecting, mm -hmm. um, supporting collaboration across communities and, actors to foster learning and experimentation mm -hmm. experimentation is also i think a, an interesting yeah area to um well to give more room to because we we need to find those new ways i, I mm -hmm. really like the way your pro your project is uh, is structured because that's um that's really a, a good um experimental platform i guess for mm -hmm. um the the rest of the space and then finally um inspire can you talk about this um the this responsibility or, or as a as a guiding principle how how does inspiration um come in the game well it's kind of going back to the idea of fun hmm. so how can we you know are we creating, are we supporting projects that inspire other people that help people understand what a different economic system or a different banking system or a different kind of company, what does it taste like? What does it feel like? How does it smell? And so as you're trying to change the, the big messy economic system, what are, what are the what are the models that people can cling to and say, okay, I understand now um, what a new kind of bank would look like. And I want to be part of that bank. I want to use that bank. Or um, what if 
one of the organizations that we fund is called Purpose, and they've created a new legal structure for companies. And they're really inspiring. They're inspiring companies all over the world to change their legal structure so that there's a firewall between their shareholders and their management and their employees so the companies can maintain their purpose and funnel their profits back into the company Hmm. and protect their communities. So, you know, it's on one hand, you can focus on central banks because they're massive and they can have a big impact in society. On the other hand, focus on some really inspiring, innovative projects at the grassroots, which is where people actually, where these things become tangible for people. And so you create experiential change and that that's very inspiring and it, it, it pushes upward um, to policymakers and others. So it makes it more likely that things, good things will happen at the top. You're listening on Spotify, on your favorite podcast app, or watching on YouTube the video version of the show. Share Cosmic with your friends and colleagues. It's important. I think I know better. I don't hit like a feather. I just feel something. I'll put it on the line. But if you don't know, I don't mind. Just say so, but take your time. Move real slow. Let me say before you go. profile of the change maker or change catalysts 
how do you identify change catalysts? How are you thinking around that, the, the, the profile of those individuals and how they are perceived today uh, in society and the, yeah, the huge importance, obviously, of um, maximizing their potential? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, so the first thing that pops to mind is that change often happens on kind of a sine curve, right? Mm. So you've got these, and somebody told me this once, um, a guy named Russ Gaskin, I'll give him a shout out. Um, so you've got people down here in the corner who are the real change makers. They're the real innovators. And they, you know, I think they tend to be independent thinkers. I think they tend to be, um, just from my personal experience, they tend to be intuitive people um, and very determined and probably idea generators. And so this is where change often starts is down here in the bottom left corner of the sine curve. And then you've got some other people part of the way up here who are willing to take what they start and move it into more mainstream institutions. And then once you get, get it, those ideas or models populated in the mainstream institutions, then you tend to um, really um, hit the tipping point and go down the top. And, and, and there will always be some segment of people who don't want to change at all. Um, I don't know if that answers your yeah, question. But no, that's a very good way of laying out the... Yeah. And then, and then the, the factors for that transition, right, for how change moves across... Uh, society mm -hmm. from innovators to the institutions or, or mm -hmm. the structures um, are they do you see any any parameter or any we talk a lot about um, culture for instance um, mm -hmm. or how culture is the vehicle for for change to happen are they others how are, how are you thinking about that so I think change happens in different ways I think when things are stable and people are happy change happens slowly um, um, and it's pretty incremental when things start getting worse and more and more people start becoming unhappy you start seeing things like Donald Trump getting elected or Brexit or what have you and um, and in those situations I think and there's a lot happening behind the scenes So there may be a lot happening that we don't see and we don't understand and that's connected in ways that we don't understand. And then it may seem like change happens suddenly and it can quite, it can happen quite suddenly. I think we are getting to that point. Um, where, where. There, there's a, a movement, there's something building, there's some, something, something cooking. Building, people have been unhappy for a long time. People have been trying to articulate why they're unhappy, why things aren't working, what's wrong with the system and, and the dangers of the system. And I, having been in philanthropy for a long time, I'm seeing that people are starting to be able to articulate this. They're starting to be able to articulate 
why things aren't working and what the problems are. And I think once we we get, for example, um, over the past year, suddenly um, people are starting to talk about civilizational collapse. And I've never heard people talking about that before. I think a lot of people have been thinking about it, but nobody's been talking about it because they they might think people... They might believe it becomes people an option. becomes an option or people will just think they're kooky. Right. Um, but um, suddenly it's kind of like, you know, those mushrooms or those trees that grow underground for massive expanses and you don't see them until someday it rains and you have a gazillion mushrooms suddenly sprouting all over the place. That's what's happening. A zillion oh. mushrooms are sprouting and change is going to happen. I like the image. the bottle of Jack Daniels or something. <laughs> I think I need to ask you for the soundtrack. <laughs> This is great music. Okay, so for each episode of Cosmic, we publish on Spotify the playlists from the episode, so you can find the link in the episode notes. Great. And if you want to um, listen to the music without the depressing blah blah by change, <laughs> you're going to miss on a lot of great insights, okay. but you, you can do that. Um How how did you how did you fall into change making yourself? Like it was was that always was that a vocation for from long time ago or a, a quest or how what was the dynamic of that uh, well career profile? I think I need to blame my parents for that. Um, my father was and um, pretty much an environmental activist from the beginning and 
way before recycling was cool, we had to recycle everything, which I hated, but, um, but it kind of sticks with you. And my mother was an activist, um, who got inspired to try to change, to save this lake in Vermont where we grow up. And, and then, um, uh, where I grew up, my first about half my childhood in Vermont was living in this really rural area that had this absolutely amazing swamp behind it. It was my backyard and it was unlike, it was just this really dark sort of wet swamp with pine trees. And I, I, I haven't seen very many like this anywhere. And I love spending my time out there and I love playing with the frogs and the snakes and singing to the birds and, You're you know, playing with the snakes. I love snakes. <sighs> That's that's for another episode like when you sharks. Can... <laughs> <laughs> I like snakes. We'll do an episode about snakes together one day. Okay. okay. Um, and then we moved to this to a neighborhood not that far away, and one day we came back and they had drained the swamp and they built an industrial park on it, and it oh. absolutely destroyed me. It just killed me. And so I think that I didn't say, oh, I'm going to be an environmentalist. But, you know, it really had this impact on me. And, you know, I thought of all the lives lost and I didn't know enough about ecosystems or anything to care and understand why why that swamp was important. But, um, but it really struck with me. And um, I think I'm, you know, I think I'm just... Other than that, I just kind of popped out this way. I'm pretty independent and don't tell me what to do. And, you know, like, right. I know what's right. And okay. <laughs> one of those right. people. I can, I can relate. <laughs> I mean, I think every, the whole audience can relate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. And um, if I was to ask you maybe a couple of things that you learned across the the years when through the different roles that you mm. had like what are what are some of you know top three learning lessons or things that come to mind when you you're like if you were to to talk or mentor someone who is just getting started as an activist or as a change maker in whatever institution or system what's what are a couple of advice that we pieces of, of advice that you would give I think the first thing, the first piece of advice I would give would be to believe in yourself and, you know, filter what is coming to you from other people, particularly if they disagree with you and learn from them, but also, you know, follow your own star, um, do what's right for you, figure out how best to listen to yourself. I know sometimes that's hard when you're a young person. Yeah, you have all those voices and pe all those people voices. telling you you're crazy and yeah. why don't you get a real job and all yeah. that, right? And especially as a woman, people oh, wow. just sort of disregarding you or you're not that smart or or whatever. Forget about them. Um, learn from what learn from what they're telling you, but don't take it personally. Um, I guess my other piece of advice would be to if you're if you want to be a change maker, really listen to the people who you're interacting with listen to the communities who don't agree with you and you know work with them and try to understand why they don't agree with you try to understand um why they 
voted for Trump. <laughs> you know, they have really valid reasons for doing what they're doing. And it's important for you if you want to create change to understand what those reasons are. question I precisely wanted to ask you about this um, gender equality mm. dimension to well I mean there's a lot of buzz a lot of change happening we can say finally mm -hmm. uh, it feels like there's a, a movement building mm -hmm. um, how do you approach this and do you, do, do you see the yeah do you think we have passed a tipping point or No. <laughs> no, I don't think we've passed the tipping point. Okay. Um, I think we need to keep pushing. I think gender differences and assumptions and expectations are so deeply rooted into all of our cultures to varying degrees. Um, it's just going to be a long, it's going to be a long road. I mean, as a woman, I can tell you that... Um, you absorb ideas about yourself as a woman that aren't necessarily good. You know, like uh, I went to, for college, for undergraduate school, I went to Mount Holyoke College, which is all women. And it never occurred to me until I got there that I, I didn't value women as highly as I valued men. And so I didn't, that meant I didn't value myself as much as I valued men. And so... It, it's not just about what other people are doing. It's about what you've taken on yourself. And so I think it requires some real deep exploration on mm -hmm. the part of, of everybody and particularly women. And it's not our responsibility to change the society, but it is our responsibility to change ourselves. And once we do that, we are changing everything. And, but on the other hand, you know, don't, don't put up with stuff. Don't put up with the mansplainers. Don't put up with the, the differences in pay and, you know, let your voice be heard. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, said like this, I mean, there is obviously so much work and even on the, even coming to that realization and accepting it and embracing change on both sides. I mean, and as you're saying, it's so much in the muscles and in culture, there's a lot of uh, words and ways of speaking that escape and uh, mm -hmm. it's yeah. so, it's going to take time. Yeah, it's going to take time. And the good thing is now men are on notice with the Me Too movement, I think. And I was just reading something the other day about how men in the office place are now afraid to interact with women. That's <laughs> not a great thing, but maybe it's a maybe it's a great thing. I don't know. It depends what kind of interaction. <laughs> right. It depends on the guy, yeah. Mm. yeah. And looking at younger generation, um, do you see anything encouraging? I see a lot encouraging. I see so much encouraging about the younger generation. They're completely inspirational to me, both in terms of gender equality, um, all the other isms, and their their you know their willingness to just fight for the planet. Yeah, you know, our I, if we will do, and philanthropy should do, and everybody else should do absolutely everything they can do to support these young people who realize that if things don't change, they don't have a future. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I think there are many more topics for cosmic episodes. I think <laughs> at least, least 10,000 I don't think episodes. you'll ever run out. <laughs> right. Um, what's, what's next for you? Uh, looking at the coming a few months and, and or year, um, some of the nuts you need to crack or, or focus areas. Well, we're, we're, um, looking for some new partners where we like to, um, have more people at the table with us, grant making with us. So that's, a an open call out there. Um, so the thing I'm most excited about in the near term is that I have finally gotten into uh, this really amazing 18-day rafting trip down the Colorado River next oh, wow. April with this guy who's been studying that whole ecosystem for his entire career. He's an amazing naturalist. And What's so, his name? I can't remember. Okay, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll connect and he's put at the, the yeah. University of um, Arizona Museum. Yeah, and um, I'm so excited about this. Is going to be the trip of a lifetime. Oh wow! Uh, oh well, that's a good thing I to focus see on a for lot the of short future. Snakes while I'm down uh, there. Snakes. Yeah. So when you come back, we'll do an episode about snakes. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll bring snakes. We in can the bring room. snakes. I'll bring some snakes. All right. Well, <laughs> I won't bring in any bears, though. Okay, that's a, that's for another story. <laughs> um, yeah, I have bear phobia. Anyway, um, I think we're going to call all of the change makers out there to, uh, or, well, to share cosmic with their um, friends and colleagues because it's a good way, I think, to dive into the the change making uh, landscape, hearing about those different stories, how you got into this, what you have in mind, um, but also all of the other guests. As you know, we're talking about coffee, we're talking about um, arts, uh, culture, music, uh, media, political institutions. It's a very broad spectrum of topics. And um, if you have any ideas about potential guests, I answer all emails. Uh, let me know your thoughts at hello at bcosmic.org. And lastly, uh, thank you very much for joining me today. It was a very inspiring discussion. Thank you for having me and thank you for doing this. 
helps is great. All these people that you're talking to, it's really important work. Well, thank you. I like it and I'm not done yet. (laughs) Good. We need you. (laughs) Speak soon. Ciao. Bye. Thank you.